what is this that we're about? What is it all about? I mean, we can't see Him, we can't touch Him, we can't taste Him, we can't hear Him audibly. Yet at the same time, I would dare say I have heard Him clear at times and I can hear your voice and my voice. I can feel Him whenever He's pulling and tugging and convicting and comforting. Um, what is this that we're about? I mean, if you're first time with us or you haven't been in church in a while or, or you, you, you first time in church period, and you look up here and you see band, lights, cameras, uh, all, all that kind of stuff, it kind of can be a, a little bit disconcerting for you, can kind of put you off track and 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 this is not the way it's always been. This this is not necessarily what it's always going to be like. It's not about this that you see. And you think, Mike, what are you talking about? Well, this is a question. What is this that we're about and what is it all about? It's been a question I've been asking for 13 years. Uh, it was 13 years ago in a room that was probably half the size of this stage with fewer people than you just saw on this stage that gathered in a living room on Nita Road in Rogers where the beginning of Grace Point happened uh, with just a few people. And in fact, we got a photo of our, our, our very first Sunday uh, there and our very first time together. And the very first time together we shared and I shared and answered, tried to answer that question what is it all about? What is this that we're about all about? Because why do we need another church in Northwest Arkansas? Why did, why did you come back from Africa? And, and, and that whole tension that was in our own hearts as we sorted through that. And answering that question, what are we about, has been about... Uh, the the biggest question that has tried to set us apart, tried to make a difference when we were still living in Zambia. And uh, family, very quiet at home, uh, ministry, very good, and then no reason to come back, not asked to come back, certainly didn't want to come back on a very large scale until God began to show us something about our own country, about our own land, about our own community, about our own home, uh, and that it was very disturbing. And it's basically about how the American culture is moving away from Christianity. And that, and just a number of statistics, I mean, uh, like only 17% of Americans actually attend church on a regular basis. And that the fact that people are walking away from church has doubled since uh, 1991. And you can just go on down the list, and there's more and more out there. The, the realization that America is turning away from Christ, turning away from the church, and yet that is, there's so much missed resources and opportunities that we can bring to the table. And there was a, there was a whole process that we went through, and we had the opportunity to come back and pastor existing churches. We could have gone immediately into an established church, but we knew that what we felt needed to happen in a church needed to happen from the beginning, needed to be a part of the DNA, and that we really believe that, that God's in the church planning business, and that that's really what God's about. And so what we wanted to be in on was that, and we wanted to be on whatever that new church might look like. Um, and again, this is probably not so new to you because you've been here for a while. But we have been about this because of one of the statements that, that, that kind of captured me in starting the church was a statement by Peter Wagner. Because again, we could have gone to any church. We could have 
We could have all those people that helped start with us. They could have gone anywhere else. But C. Peter Wagner said it like this. He said, the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. And so we as a church want to be about that. And we've got to figure this out. Uh, we, we are a new church start. I still kind of consider us after just 13 years, kind of that new church start, but I know we're way past that. But we want to help other churches start, help other churches start around the world. The very first church that we helped to start was actually in West Africa, in a Muslim nation. And that church today is still meeting in a beautiful congregation pastored by, uh, by a guy named Inji Togala. And he loves the people and he loves the village. And now we're going into other villages. But even here in America, you heard if you were part of our strategy meeting a few weeks ago that we're actually helping to start a church in St. Louis. Actually, it's a restart of a church that is actually dying. And you heard uh, uh, Bob Bigford, a friend of mine, greet you as a church. I want to introduce you to Chris Cosby. Chris Cosby is a church planner that's moving from the south to the north. He's moving up to Boston. He and his family, plus another family, plus three or four other families are totally relocating themselves. And those who are in business are going to open up a business in Boston. And those that uh, are in ministry, Chris Cosby is going to be full-time uh, at, at starting Encounter Church. And I want you to kind of get to know Chris, and because you're going to hear more about this. This is, again, our heartbeat, our DNA. And so get to know Chris now in the work in Boston. Hi, I'm Chris Cosby, lead pastor of Encounter Church. And I want to thank you, Grace Point Church, for your partnership and allowing us to make a difference for Christ in a greater Boston area. About 400 years ago, settlers first stepped foot on these grounds, seeking religious freedom, desiring to establish a city that they said would become a city on the hill, an example for all the world to see of what it would look like for a group of people desiring to honor God to live in community. This city we call Boston was birthed out of that desire to honor God. Boston has long been a place through the centuries that's a catalyst that takes an idea and turns it into a movement. Whether it's Paul Revere riding through the middle of the night, birthing a nation, or whether it's breakthrough medical innovations transforming the world, Boston is a place that makes a difference around the world. Within 10 minutes of our community is 120,000 people, with less than 2,000 of those people following Christ. We believe that God has called us here to be part of transforming those statistics. Thank you for your partnership because you're allowing us to be part of a greater storyline here in the greater Boston area of God birthing and moving in a new and fresh way to transform this region and in doing so, transform the world. So I want you to just kind of lock in on Encounter Church. Be praying about that. We're going to be sending teams to Boston. We send them around the world. We'll be sending teams to Boston and how we're going to be a part of that. We're financially supporting them, but we're also going to be practically boots on the ground as we have those opportunities. Because the most effective way to bless a community is to start a church. It's the only organization that will bless a community, body, soul, and spirit. So we want to be about that. If we can start healthy churches... Northwest Arkansas, St. Louis, in a Kamabugu, West Africa, wherever it may be, we want to be about uh, being a part of that. And it's not our plan. It's not our agenda. I really believe that if you look back in, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, be finding that uh, passage in your Bibles, I think you'll find that that was God's plan. Now, let me just talk, take you back to that Matthew 16 passage, because 
Matthew 16, I think, tells the story of God's exit strategy. He were, were six months away from Jesus going to the cross. Imagine living for 33 years, knowing that you've got six months left and knowing that you're going to die, knowing the full story that you're going to die, rise again, go to heaven, prepare a place for us, and one day come again for us. But the movement has to take off. It can't just be Jesus, him coming, bleeding, dying, rising from the dead. There has to be a plan thereafter. So his plan, his exit strategy, if you will, wasn't to start a government, wasn't to plan a school, wasn't to open a hospital. It was to start, in a new phrase, listen to this, a new phrase, here it is, to start churches. Now, it wasn't a new phrase to you and me, and it wasn't even a new phrase then. The word ecclesia was a, was a Greek word that would speak of any kind of government assembly, any kind of common ground assembly that would come together, a meeting, a council, anything like that. That would be the word ecclesia. Jesus puts a new spin on it. He introduces the new concept of the church. And he said, this is what I'm going to be about. I'm going away, but you're going to be about what I'm about, and this is what I'm about, and that is starting churches. So when we started something 13 years ago, we really believed it was because something that it was God wanted us to do. We believe, not trying to be arrogant, just trying to tell you our conviction, that Grace Point Church is a work of God, not because of me or because anybody else, but because it was a part of His plan. It was part of his plan for Northwest Arkansas. It was a part of his plan for the world. And now how are we going to be a part of his plan moving forward, moving his story forward? So if you found Matthew 16, a little passage of scripture here. Let me read it, kind of get it in context, get it flowing here. Verse 13, Jesus starts asking questions. Now, I love Jesus and his questions. You ask Jesus a question, he'll turn around and ask you a question, try to answer your question. And so he starts asking questions, broad stroke questions, but then he narrows it down and he brings it straight down to them. Look at this. Now, Jesus, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say the son of man is? Who do people? Broad stroke. What's the general poll out there? What's Gallup say? What's the Pew Research say? Who do people say that I am? That's the first question. Well, they're confused about you, Jesus. Some said you're John the Baptist. Some others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So there was a public opinion disaster. There was a marketing disaster, if you will, because nobody was 100% certain of who Jesus was. But then Jesus asked the real question. The most important question to Jesus was not really what did everybody think about him. The most important, the first question only led them to the second question. Look at that, verse 15. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your mama and your papa said. It doesn't matter what your friends and your neighbors think. It doesn't matter what your teammates think or your classmates think. Who is Jesus to you? And what difference is he making in your life? And that has got to be answered here today and any other day you live your life. Who is Jesus to you is going to be very critical moving forward here. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I mean, he puts it down big, plain, and straight. Verse 17, and Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, calls him by his full name. His mother was there almost. Uh, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter... And I tell you, you are Peter, renames him right there. And on this rock, I will build my 
church. Right there, he states it. He says, this is what I'm going to do. Future tense, Peter, through you, through your word, through the testimony that you just gave, you're going to start something here that's not going to end here. It's going to keep going and going. And it's going to be built on this, knowing who I am. If we're confused about who he is, then we're confused about a church and we can call ourselves a church, but we're really not a church. So we've got to figure out his role, his place, his role in our life and in our church. So I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not, shall not prevail against it. By the way, that is not a defensive move against hell. It is not a posture that, oh, Satan's not going to get us. We're going to build a big hedge around here. We're going to be safe inside the church. Not at all. Actually, it is an offensive move. We are moving against hell. We are pushing back the darkness. And hell's not going to be able to stop us. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, that gets it. When we break this down and we really get to it, and how do we call ourselves a work of God, is because there are three key elements that I hope marked, marked, past tense, Grace Point, day one, 13 years ago, that I hope that we can take a test today and we had pass it with flying colors that still to this day, Grace Point Church is marked by these. And the reason I do this, and I don't know if I made this clear in the beginning, but I have shared every year, at this time every year, this same message for the past 13 years. That I've changed very little, a few stories, a few facts, some things along the way, but the premise, the thesis, the points, the foundations has not changed. And why is that? Because what started Grace Point, why we started, where we started, where we said we were about, my prayer to God is that every year we take this car in for a realignment and we make sure our wheels are still pointing down the same way on the road. And that we're going in the same direction we said we were going. We're going to keep going in that same direction till the next year when we realign. So this is called realignment time. This is called alignment time. But let's make sure we're all on the same page, whether you have been here from the beginning of the church or this is your first time here today. Figuring out who we are, where we are going, is a critical pathway for us. The first thing I hope we'll understand about the value and the role and the response of the church is this. Is that Grace Point and hopefully any church, Jesus Christ is the foundation of that church. Now when I say church, 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 just lump yourself into that. All right? If you're a follower of Christ, then you are part of His church. So really when I say this on a broad scale, I'm really saying this on a micro scale too. Is Jesus Christ your foundation? This is the beginning of times, the beginning of physics, it's the beginning of, uh, of gravity. We have realized the value of a foundation. Without a good, solid rock, solid foundation, then by all means we're not going to stand. And he calls Peter, he renames Simon Barjona, he calls him Petros. Petros is the word where we get, or where the word rock. You are a rock, Peter. You're the, the, what you just said, Peter, this is what I'm going to build my church on. What you're about, Peter, is exactly that. Now again, notice what he, he went back. Let's talk about the bigger picture. Verse 13, he said, who does everyone out there say that I am? Now, just as much as there was confusion in that day, we have confusion today. Who is Jesus? 
Some people are still confused about who Jesus is. Now, again, you ask different religions, they'll say different things. If you ask a Hindu, he'll tell you one thing. A Hindu will tell you this, that Jesus Christ, as a teenage boy, learned yogic meditations, moved to India, modern-day India, moved to India, learned yogic meditations, moved back to modern-day Israel, became a Jewish guru, and became a first-century Gandhi. And he earned his deity, if you will, And he is as much a God as any of the other thousands upon thousands upon thousands of gods that the Hindus worship. He is just one among many. So you talk to a Hindu person and you introduce Jesus to them and they, and they say, yes, I'll take Jesus along with all my other gods. And they'll just lump him in the, in the shelf. Now, is that what Jesus is? Just one among many gods. You'll have to answer that yourself. The second Buddhist. Buddhist is a common uh, growing religion out there. Even in America, Zen Buddhism is what some believe is the fastest growing religion, mainly from Hollywood, from the West to the East. Zen Buddhism, with all of its yoga meditations, meditations is the fastest growing religion in post-Christendom. But what does Buddhism believe about Jesus? Buddha was before Jesus, and that Buddha uh, was, I guess, the first of universal love to achieve universal love and therefore deity and godhood, and that Jesus, in all of his love, achieved universal love, and he became the brother of Buddha. And that you too, if you will learn and you will grow to nirvana and you will reach that point in your life where you have universal love, you too will be just like Buddha. You'll be just like Jesus. Again, that's what the Buddhists believe. You talk to a Jew, well, you could read it in their own Jewish historical book. The history of Jesus, or in Hebrew, the Toledoth Yesu, says this, that Jesus was the bastard child of a seduced Mary who later gains magical powers and sorcery. That's who they believe Jesus is. You talk to a Muslim man or woman, and they'll tell you that Jesus was a prophet. He was a prophet just like Muhammad is a prophet. But don't you dare say to my face that Jesus is God. Because there is only one God and His name is Allah, according to the Islamic faith. You talk to a Jehovah's Witness and they'll tell you that Jesus Christ was the former archangel Michael. Who came to this earth and was martyred. He was a servant of Jehovah. He was martyred at death, but he never rose from the grave. Is that the same Jesus that you and I follow today? Mormonism. It's not the same. They may look, they may look, they may smell, they may act, they may, they may even try to claim themselves to be Christianity, but Mormonism is not Christianity. They believe that Jesus was conceived in Mary, when God came to earth and had relations with Mary and gave birth to a son, and that son evolved and morphed into deity himself over time. Now you can go to postmodernism. Postmodernism is not an organized religion. You'll not find it in a building. You'll not find it in, in, in some kind of bookstore so much. But postmodernism is basically you taking relativism, you taking a pluralism, you taking universalism, you blending any kind of faith you want together because you can make up your own faith. At the end, all roads lead to heaven. And that there is no absolute truth 
And that there is no solid teaching. There is no final meta-narrative out there that we can all subscribe to. So therefore, all roads must lead to heaven or just run a risk and go your own and figure it out. It's a very uninstitutionalized religion. It's more of a humanistic philosophy. Then there's notional Christians. Now beware. Because some in this room, and I don't know who you are, but I'm just going to do a broad stroke here. Some in this room would qualify as notional Christians. If you were given a survey today and asked who you are or what you were, you would indicate that you are a Christian. In in ideology, you are a Christian. You even maybe have a crucifix cross around your necks right now. You, you, may even, you may even attend church on a semi or regular or somewhat regular basis. And you go through religious motions and you believe religiosity or you believe Christianity's notion. But you have not allowed it to penetrate your life. You've not allowed it to change your life. Barna estimates that 44% of all Christians are notional Christians. They believe the idea, the philosophies, the general tenets of Christianity, but they don't adhere to it. It doesn't change the way they do business. It doesn't change the way they treat their their wife or their husband. It doesn't change anything about their life. It doesn't penetrate them. But really, that's what the world believes. Let me come back to you. Again, imagine yourself in a room about this size, 13 years ago, and imagine yourself sitting there with me with just a handful of people, and let me ask you, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Because at the end of the day, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He wasn't speaking to popular opinion. He wasn't speaking to all the citizens of Caesarea Philippi. He was speaking to his disciples. Who who am I to you? What difference have I made in your life? I want Northwest Arkansas, I want the world to know that whenever you name the name of Christ, whenever you're a part of a body of believers called Grace Point, that, that you are so consumed by Jesus and that Jesus Christ is absolutely the Son of the living God. I mean, you say it emphatically like Peter does. You say it with conviction like Peter does. You say it with life change like Peter does. Peter left his nets. He starts following Jesus. You say it not as a fan, but as a follower of Christ with deep conviction. And I hope when we do that, the world will see the difference. We'll show the world who Jesus is. Enthusiastically, we will show him. That would be through worship. And all these that I'm about to give you, you'll notice, are the five major tasks of our church. They're also the five major tasks that uh, Rick Warren brought out in his book, What on Earth Are You Here For? This is what we have built our church around. And I hope that we will enthusiastically show the world uh, who Jesus is in our life. We'll do it corporately as a church. And that means we have a feelings. We have a, an attachment where enthusiasm, if you, haven't already, if you don't already know this, means God within. Is God within you coming out of you? When you are doing that, you are showing God off. Also, number two, practically through ministry. The world needs to see who Jesus is practically through ministry. The, the, most of the world does not even see the value of the church. They see that the church is the one with their hands out, grabbing, taking. A survey that I read a number of years ago, 91% of non-Christians believe 
the church isn't sensitive to their needs. I don't want to be a church that's disconnected from the needs of our community. I got an email just this past week from The Call. It's a local organization that helps families become certified to adopt, certified to foster families. We've got 12 families right now in the system being trained or already fostering. But we even have more beyond that that have done that years in the past. But right now, being trained to become foster, we have 12 families. I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot to you. But I love it when our families get this. And they realize there's an empty spot at the table and there's an empty bed in an empty bedroom. And they're going to say, listen, I'm accountable to God for every empty table and every empty bed. And what if I could open up my home and make a space at my table for a child who doesn't have a bed or a child who doesn't have a, a place to sit at? I love it that our church practically loves the community through ministry, lovingly through uh, uh, community. That's how we're going to do this is when we are a community of believers knit together. And how do we do that in a church this size with two gatherings, people flowing in and out? It gets becomes difficult unless every single one of us does something that we say around here, probably not often enough, but I'm going to say it today. And so brand it into your mind, own your zone. All right. Now, what does that mean? That means basically every Sunday you come in, if there's anybody around you, when you sit down or when you stand up or when you get ready to leave, you get to know them. In fact, we even have a three-minute rule. All right, the three-minute rule is that the first three minutes after every conclusion of every gathering is that you look around and you have met, you see somebody that you haven't met yet and you start getting to know them. All right? That means right now you're looking around, listening to me, and you're creeping somebody, all right? Look across the room, find somebody you haven't met, and I want you to start creeping in on them, all right? Uh, and so after the service, you're going to go and you're going to get to know. Listen, only three minutes. So listen, if they're an absolute bore, this is like speed dating at church, okay? And so you just kind of get to know people that way, and but just do it in a, in a way, in a manner that we are going to be a community built on love. So that when somebody comes in, they're going to get to know people and we're going to get to know one another as we go along here. Also, relevantly, through outreach. I hope that we can reach in and touch people's lives where they are. I have this eye that, I don't know, I've been trained this way over time or nearly 25 years in ministry. I look through the facades. I can, I just look through the facades. You can come in here all pimped up, hipster if you want to. You can come in here in your designer clothes, or you can come in driving your nice car and living your big house or whatever. I'm not, I'm not dogging anything. I just realize this about everybody. Everybody has a need for Jesus Christ. Amen. And until they have it, it's all a mask. And if we start to see the world that way, we start investing more in people. We invest more in people, we'd invite them. After we invite them, we'd start interceding for them. If we'll start doing that and start seeing everybody in this world as needing Jesus Christ and living such a way, it would make a difference also biblically. This is going to be through discipleship. It's going to be through the transformation. I want to show Jesus off in such a way that this world will know that when this book's op- open on Sunday morning or Wednesday night with our youth or 
in our, in our Sunday school classes with our children, that there's going to be some truth in here that's going to change their life, shape their life, move their life from here to there. Every year about this time, I'll pull aside and I'll go into a time of solitude and seclusion and I'll get alone. It'll be just me and my computer and my books and I'll just be praying and seeking God for messages that God's wanting for the coming year. It was interesting last year at this time. I did just that. I pulled aside, went aside, got into my place. In the very first day, second day there, God just started pulling things out of the closet of Mike McDaniel's life. Mike, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I began to see something, a pattern, years of patterns, a pattern of stuckness. And from that period of time last year, in January, I shared a series of messages called Stuck. So what I, what I say all that, just to say, I pray that every time you enter this building, that you're going you're gonna to get this, And you're going to get this married together, real life with the Word of God. And it's going to pour into your life. And hopefully it's going to help steer all of our lives in a different direction, maybe in a better direction, hopefully in a better direction. Howard Henderson, one of my all-time favorite professors, and he shared this story uh, of of where he was teaching a Bible study every Monday morning to 2,800 Dallas businessmen. He asked them one day, just a survey, just a quick survey, did the message you hear at your church, all the churches represented around Dallas, did you hear at your church how much of it makes an impact in your life on Monday? What you heard yesterday, is it making a difference in your life on Monday? 82% of them said there was no connection between the message they heard on Sunday and their life on Monday. I don't want that to be true. I want Jesus Christ to be such a foundation in our life that he is everywhere affecting all of us emotionally, uh, spiritually, uh, physically, mentally, in every way. Number two, the second thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus Christ is the foreman. All right? He's the leader of this church. Yes, I may be the finding, founding pastor, but that doesn't make me the head honcho. Listen, there's the head honcho. That, that is Jesus Christ. This is his idea. I could die tomorrow. I could be moved tomorrow. I could go back to Africa tomorrow. The leader of this church is Jesus Christ, and we've got to keep him there. It means we've got to stay in prayer, every last one of us. He says, I will build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. An interesting verse on over in 1 Corinthians. Paul said this. He said, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Now, who's building? Because Paul's talking about building the church. Jesus is talking about building the church. So who's the builder? Well, this is the best way I could put it together. Jesus Christ is the foreman. He's got the blueprint. He has the plans. He's the one calling the shots. But it's going to be you and I are going to be the builders putting it together, doing the work, doing the labor, sweating, I hope to God that you're a part of what God's about at this church. Our our purpose statement builds it right in. We have a great commitment to the great commandment to build a great church for our great God. Great commission and the great commandment to build a great church for our great God. We're the builders. We're in on this. Where is God's plan? His plan is in the commandment and the great commission. The great commission and the great commandment is where we are building. Number three, number three, Jesus Christ is the future. 
in whom Grace Point is building. When you look at this passage of Scripture, he says, I will build my church. But then he turns and he says, but I'm going to give you, Peter, the keys. I'm going to give you the keys, what? To the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven sounds a bit bit abstract. I know it. I have a hard time putting my arms around it. The kingdom of heaven is more than a monarchy. It's more than some other uh, governmental system out there. It's a way of life. It is, it is Jesus living and penetrating our life. It is, it is everything about Him giving us His keys so that what did He say we could do? Whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Basically this. The only thing that I know that makes it from this life to the next life is people. And so I want to be about people. And I want to be about, since He's given me His keys, and what do keys represent? Keys represent authority. Keys represent access. I typically have my keys in my pocket, and I don't this morning. But if I pulled out my keys, you could literally have access to everything in my life. You would have my house key, my car key. You would have the office keys. You'd have access to any room in this church. You'd have access to filing cabinets. You would have access to things that are confidential. You'd have access to everything. You know where my money was. You could find it. You find it all by having keys. Jesus gave us the keys to his kingdom. I think it's beautiful when you think about it. He equipped us with his word. He empowered us with his spirit. He enriched us with his church. And now the only thing remaining is for us to take the keys to the kingdom and get as many people from this world into that world and to bring them along in the faith and to bring them up in the faith. The problem is, is the church is such a turnoff to some people. It's repulsive. Philip Yancey wrote this in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. Many, far too many, abandoned the quest for Jesus entirely. Why? Well, they're repelled by the church. They never make it to Jesus. Listen, I, I, read, I read a statement 13 years ago for the first time to the, the beginning families of our church because I didn't really know what I was doing in starting Grace Point. I really, I didn't, and I still don't know what I'm doing, so just be, beware of that. Um, but I re- read a quote from a, a 60-year-old pastor who had just started a church in Frisco, Texas, Stonebriar Community Church. Chuck Swindoll is his name. I've listened to the guy on the radio, read his books, and all that kind of stuff. Great guy. He made this statement on the very first night, October 14, 1998, when Stonebriar first launched. He said this, All of us are here tonight. Because all of us here are interested in the beginning of a ministry. One that has never existed before, but by the grace of God, will outlive us. Why is it so beautiful and powerful to be a part of God's kingdom work? It's because what we do when we're a part of His work is we breathe life into life. A friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, reminded me that this time one year ago, it'll actually be next Sunday, would be one year ago, was our first Sunday in this building. This dear friend of mine reminded me that that was their first day to come to Grace Point. I said, well, that's amazing. I've walked with this friend through a lot over the past year. We've cried together. We've text messages back together. We have um, just said on 
benches and shared life stories together and and walked through a lot of junk in this person's life. And so this past week when they reminded me that they had been at Grace Point for a year, I just asked a simple question. I just wrote back and said, what was the biggest work that God has done in your life over the past year? They wrote this. I think this past year has made me put the priorities in perspective and live a life a little more in reality. I lived with blinders on and let things consume me. It prohibited me from enjoying all of my blessings. I definitely try not to do that anymore. And I do it in a more joyful way. I am a work in progress, aren't we all? But in incorporating God into my life has made me correct my priorities. God, if Jesus Christ is your foundation, he will rock your world. He will change your life. He will change your priorities. And I enjoy my kids so much more. Simple story. But what we're about here every day and what I'm about and hopefully what you're about is breathing life into life. Breathing life into life. It's one of the greatest rewards that what we do. One other story. On April 26th in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, a young lady decided to go to church. Marilyn Deneen. She didn't go to church. She wasn't a regular churchgoer. But she decided to go two days after a, a junior high shooting at a dance that she was at. On that day, on that, on that night, a 48-year-old science teacher, John Gillette, at Parker Middle School was gunned down whenever a little boy, a 14-year-old boy named Andrew, nicknamed was Satan, walks into the school and opens fire. Wounds two teachers, a couple of other students, but kills John Gillette. Whenever Marilyn Deneen walked into church, the first person she ran into was a greeter, And she told the greeter this because she didn't know which end was up, which way to go and all that kind of stuff. So she said this, I don't usually come, but today I needed something. I needed to be with people who believed in something. This world's jacked up. And if we don't believe in something, if we don't have a solid foundation, if we're not building with Jesus as our foreman, calling the shots in our life, calling the shots in this church. If we're not really realizing that we have the keys to God's kingdom, we can open it up and we can help as many people in as possible. We can breathe life into their life. Then I don't know that we're fully embracing the something, the something that Marilyn Deneen was looking for. Would you bow your heads with me? Today, do you know Jesus as your foundation? We can't talk about building, we can't talk about doing if we can't get Jesus as our bedrock. As, 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 the, as the element that we're going to build our life on. And if Jesus isn't the foundation of your life, then right here now, 
Why don't you just cry out to Him? Just He hears you. He says, if you'll confess your sins, He will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So just say to Him, Jesus, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm not even what I ought to be. But God, would you take me? Jesus, would you take me? Would you be the God that you are in me? I don't want to be confused about who you are. I don't want to make you into something you're not or take away from something that you are. Jesus, I want you to be my God. Would you just pray that prayer to him and mean it from the depths of your being? And when we stand in a moment, just sing this song from from your heart that Jesus Christ, he's everything. And as a church, we, we recognize that he gives us life. And we are going to go out into this world and we're just going to breathe life into life. Life into life. Lord Jesus, here and now, may we not miss, may we not live with blinders on. May we not have our priorities all jacked up. But may we know who you are, Jesus. And may you be calling the shots, building our lives just as you're building this church. And Lord Jesus Christ, as you entrust to us the keys to the kingdom of heaven, may we not lose them, neglect them, but may we use them to bring others into the life, into the beauty of knowing you. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?